We're dealing with the sin of covetousness next on Abounding Grace. It's one of the big ten of God's warnings to us. The Ten Commandments, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Covetousness is a serious sin in our lives. Especially in our culture, in our world, there's just constantly mess, that message over and over and over and over again that what you have is not enough. What you have isn't good enough. What you have isn't new enough. This is amazing grace. tend to think if we just had a little bit more, then we would be satisfied. But today on Abounding Grace, we'll meet a guy who had just about everything this world has to offer and still wanted more. Covetousness and greed is a real problem in America today. So let's see how we can deal a death blow to it and move on to contentment in Christ today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is here with us to open 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings chapter 21, as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Kings, King Ahab, as we have learned, is very far from God in just about every area of his life. He was the most wicked, vile king in all of his, Israel's history. And, and before you simply just dismiss a statement like that, notice with me chapter 21, verse 25. Chapter 21, verse 25. We'll skip ahead just so you understand that the Bible records this truth for us. There was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Ahab did more spiritual damage than any other king before him to date. And yet God continues to work with him. And God continues to pursue him. God continues to extend grace to him. Wooing him. Patiently waiting. Wanting to see repentance. And maybe even restoration in his life. This is one of those times with King Ahab where God demonstrates grace far beyond, I think, most of us would. Far beyond the kind of damage that he did, the kind of wickedness that he was involved in. Not not just to a few people, but him and Jezebel just ruining the nation. And yet, even though God is patient with him and gracious with him, he still remains far from God. In our last chapter, we learned how Ben-Hadad, he was guilty. He, He was guilty before God, He was the man Ahab should have killed. Instead, let him go. And today we meet innocent Naboth, a man he should have protected, and instead he kills. So the guilty he lets go, and the innocent he takes out. Just like the prophet Isaiah told us, you beware, woe to the person that calls good evil and evil good. And Ahab is an example of that today. 
You can jot it down in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15. It says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them are alike an abomination to the Lord. And you can write Ahab next to Proverbs 17, 15, because that's an example of exactly what is an abomination. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, and who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Verse 1, chapter 21. It came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's near, next to my house. And for it, I'll give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its worth in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, verse 3, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. And so Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give to you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Now Ahab is already discouraged. We know that from back in chapter 20 in verse 43, it says the king went to his house sullen and displeased and then came to, dis- to Samaria. He's already discouraged. And being rebuked, as he was being rebuked by the handling of King, ha- uh, king Hadad, Ben-Hadad, he senses that failure in his life. I-, I, think it was a, I think personally it was a struggle in his life going from the reality of his potential. I, I think as much, God, as much as what God saw in him, I think he also recognized it in himself. But, but he's trapped in his evil and he's trapped in his decisions and, and it's a difficult thing. So he's discouraged here and he ends up passing by a field that he wants because it's next to his house, but it belongs to this guy by the name of Naboth and he offers to buy it. But Naboth says, I won't give it up. Now jot it down, Le- Leviticus chapter 25 in verse 23, that selling this land was actually forbidden. So Ahab is asking for something where Naboth is wise enough to say no I, I don't want to trade, and I don't want to sell it. It's my inheritance. And what happens with Ahab? He goes home pouting. He refuses to eat. He's sad. Which, which gives us a little bit of insight here in the totality of Ahab's life here. As a king, he really has everything that a person would want. He has a palace. He has land. He has everything that he wants. But there's something that he doesn't have that he wants. There's a Bible word for that. It's called covetousness. It's one of the big ten of God's warnings to us. The Ten Commandments. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Covetousness is a serious sin in our lives. And here's a guy that has everything and it, it would be like, you know, having a huge mansion and everything that you could possibly want. And, and then there's a home next to you, 800 square feet on a little postage stamp piece of property. And you want that too. It's not enough of everything that you have. You want that too. And he's coveting and he wants it. Materialism will do that to you every time. Putting your heart and your mind and your desire into that which is material. Because no matter how much you get you're always going to want more. 
And no matter what car you have, you're going to want the next model. And what phone you get, you're going to want the next. On and on, this, especially in our culture, in our world, there's just constantly mess, that message over and over and over and over again that what you have is not enough. What you have isn't good enough. What you have isn't new enough. Whether it's in the realm of our possessions, the house that you have is not big enough. The apartment you have, not large enough. On and on and on and on it goes. And I don't believe there's one person among us that doesn't fall into that from time to time. And it seems like everyone has a particular weakness when it comes to, so, so you say today, uh, you know, I'm not really a car person, Ed, so my car has 300,000 miles and, and it only has three wheels. I'm looking for the fourth right now and, you know, I push it and so I don't have a car issue so I can dismiss that and I'm not too much into, into you know, the phones and gadgets, but I bet you you're into something that just seems to always bring a sense of dissatisfaction. John D. Rockefeller, a man from Ohio, started Standard Oil. And Rockefeller was one, at one point the world's richest man and the first ever known American billionaire. And considering that he was a billionaire in the early 1900s, he was still considered as the richest person in modern history. And when he was interviewed for one of the many interviews that he did, when one reporter asked him, how much money is enough? His response was... Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. A billionaire. How much is enough? When will it end? When will you have enough? Well, just a little bit more. Let me show you. Hold your places in Kings, and, and, and let's just insert this uh, in the context of Ahab. Would you go to 1 Timothy chapter 6? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Pick up with me when you get there in verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, 6. As Paul is writing to Young Timothy, training him, teaching him how to raise up men in the ministry, how to raise up men in the church. Notice in verse 6, he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. Verse 8. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed in the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves. That covetousness in our lives, the greediness, pierces ourselves with many sorrows. And if this is an issue in your life, we develop this in the studies through the book of Philippians. So you just go onto the app or on the web and go through the, the studies through Philippians and Paul deals with that in a chapter with learning to be content. And we develop it much more there. But come back to chapter 21 of Kings again and pick up in verse 5. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And she said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money or else. If it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Basically, Ahab's saying, I, I told this man to give me his land, and he wouldn't give me his land. And so Jezebel, I mean, this is a wicked gal, man. She is over-the-top wicked. His wife says, Now, 
You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise and eat food and let your heart be cheerful. I'll give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And so she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city of Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people and seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. And then take him out and stone him that he may die. Jezebel will have none of this discouragement. She's the, hey, you're the king, man. Let me take care of this for you. And working behind the scenes, she finds out the issue and sets up Naboth's assassination. Plain and simple. Verse 11. So the men of his city, the elders, the nobles, who were inhabitants of the city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast, seated Naboth both with high honor among the people, and two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him, and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones, so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give to you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And so it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. The plan of Jezebel worked perfectly as the letters she wrote in King Ahab's name were followed exactly. And, and we, don't, we, we don't want to spend too much time on this, but notice that people will lie when they're asked to lie. In some cases, in Jesus' case, they'll, they'll lie when they're paid to lie. And, and why the wisdom of God is so valuable to us to not believe something we hear without hearing the other side to get both sides. Even, even the world system in which we live understands that. They, they say it this way. There's always three sides to the story. Your side, their side, and the truth. Uh, even the world understands this concept. They may, not fully, they may not fully live it. They may not fully live it out in their lives. But for us as believers, the Bible says, the first one to plead his case sounds right until his neighbor comes and reproves him. And, and people, even believers, will give up their own character and give up their own integrity to lie about another believer or to lie about someone. And, and our default needs to be to seek the Lord first, to receive, you know, even with the leaders and within the church, you know, the elders, the Bible says, don't receive an accusation against an elder except by two or three witnesses. Like the reality of confirmation. So these scoundrels, I, I like that, 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 Translation, these scoundrels, they lie, and their lies led to the death of Naboth, which always reminds us that lies lead to the death of someone's character, someone's integrity, someone's reputation, and we need to walk in the truth as believers. I thought if there's ever going to be a truthful group of people on the earth today, it needs to be us, followers of Jesus who came in both grace and truth. He's the epitome of grace and truth in Jesus. He lives inside of us. Living God dwells inside of us, and we too then walk in his truth. Verse 17 now. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. 
just a side note here, Elijah's been about six years. It's been about six years since Elijah's been on the scene. So if you want to jot in your margin there, uh, it's been about six years since Elijah, the last time we've heard about Elijah. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah, arise, go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth. Notice, even though Naboth died, and even though Ahab took possession, even though it belongs in Ahab's mind, what does the Bible say? It's still the vineyard of Naboth. It still belongs to him where he has gone down to take possession of it, you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Then Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I found you, because you've sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I'll bring calamity on you. I'll take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free, and I'll make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, verse 23, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. It's not easy to be a prophet, to speak forth the words of God. It's not easy to exercise the gift of exhortation. Not everybody wants to hear a word that's going to move them forward or bring about rebuke or correction in their lives. It's not easy to stay in the Bible and to read the Bible every day because when you do read the Bible, it becomes a mirror and you get tired of seeing the mirror reflecting back to you as the Holy Spirit confirms in your heart the reality of where you are compared to where God wants you. A lot of times when you're starting the reading through the Bible in the beginning of the year and you've made that commitment, I'm going to go through Genesis all the way to Revelation. I'm going to follow this plan or I'm going to do this plan on my phone. And and you get through Genesis, you get through Exodus. And then sometimes you think, well, Leviticus is so hard, I'm not going to get through Leviticus. But it's not just that Leviticus can be a difficult book to go through. That's not just it. By the time you get to Leviticus, through Genesis and Exodus, God has revealed so much to you in your life. And you might even sense a weariness in your life to go, man. And then you get to, you know, you kind of slow your roll in Leviticus, but in reality, Leviticus is a book on holiness. And as you're reading through about the holiness of God and the requirements of God, and there's sacrifice after sacrifice, and, and there, are, there, there is God saying, this is how I want to relate to you, I believe it's not just a practical reason why we stop reading the Bible through the year. It's also spiritual. If if you look at your own Bible reading this last week or the last month, why is it that you have neglected? Why is it that we've neglected the Word of God? Why is it that we still keep up on the news? And why is it that we still know what pictures are posted on Instagram? And why is it that we know every false thing and every weird thing on Facebook? And, and why is it that we still have Twitter, but we haven't been in the Word of God? I suggest to you that it's a spiritual problem. 
that, that it is a, a problem of disconnect between you and God, between me and God. It's a smaller version of what God said to the church in Ephesus, that you've left your first love. Because love always builds anticipation, wanting to hear from the Lord, desiring to hear. Well, why is it that we avoid Bible study? Why is it that we will avoid Bible study and give it a break for a couple weeks? Or I suggest that it's a spiritual issue in our lives. It's a relational issue. It's, man, it's hard to receive a hard word from the Lord. Everything in the Bible is not going to be super encouraging. Everything in the Bible is not going, why? Because the Bible tells the truth about the matters of which it speaks. And in order to learn the truth of the matters of which it speaks, we need to hear the truth. So your response when somebody comes to you with the truth tells you a lot about your personal walk with the Lord. You could blame it on them. Oh, they weren't nice enough or they didn't. You can blame it on them all you like. And, and it could be that we delivered it wrong. We used the wrong words. It, it, absolutely. But the reality is the closer you are to the Lord, it won't matter how it's delivered. It won't matter how it's delivered because the Lord's already been speaking to you about it and he's already been leading you about it. And you're like, man, I know that brother could have been nicer. I know that sister could. Yeah, I know. But man, Lord, thank you for sending them anyway. Because sometimes a hard word is, even if it's delivered with roses and candy, is still going to be hard. And it's still going to be difficult. And Elijah here, this is a hard word. You're going <laughs> Your dogs are going to lick your blood, man. And Jezebel, they're going to eat her. Oh, that's a hard word. So if you're in so much trouble, Ahab, you're so stinking wicked that you're going to have a nasty ending. Your life is going to end horrifically. And here he is after six years of silence. He comes on the scene. Hey, thanks for taking part in today's study from 2 Kings on Abounding Grace. All of Pastor Ed Taylor's teachings can be heard again online at calvaryaurora.org. We'd like to suggest adding a couple of apps to your mobile devices. They are the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. This would be a great way to study the Word in the new year. Do a search for Calvary Aurora and both apps will come up. Pastor Ed, each month we try to pick out a resource that can be of some help to our listeners. What do we have here in January? To begin the new year, Larry, I've chosen a book personally that has ministered to me and so many in our church. It's the book entitled Getting to Know, and that's the letters N-O, Getting to Know, How to Break a Stubborn Habit by Erwin Lutzer. And it's just one of those books that is used by God to help you overcome whatever's been plaguing you. It's a great book to start the new year as Dr. Lutzer gives us clear direction on the Word of God, how to apply the Word of God in living the overcoming life. Uh, so many nuggets of truth, so much. I mean, it's a simple book, but yet it's a powerful book, you know, because habits can become sinful. Uh, they can become stubborn, and we can even get to the place where we think, you know, we aren't going to overcome this. This is how we're going to be the rest of our life, but it's not true. 
And one of the things, in one of the reviews, one of the things that somebody mentions is, and I quote, the media industry is Satan's playground. He uses it to distract us from what's really important as he attempts to turn us into robots who obey our appetites, no matter how destructive they may be. And the book is filled with little tidbits that will encourage you as you launch off in this new year. Please do get it. It will bless you. It's called Getting to Know, N-O, by Erwin Lutzer. And I know it'll help you start out the year in a powerful way. What a timely resource as we begin a new year. And we'd love to send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. And please remember that it's through your generous support that we're able to come to you each day. Your gift will help us bring the teaching of God's Word to this station and others like it here in 2019. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. That's 877-30-GRACE or write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Glad you've taken time out for our study in 1 Kings. We'll pick up where we left off next time we get together on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 